0: Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you will find such things as in depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his 2nd Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought, that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, or whatever time it is when you're out there watching this video, Bible Study. I'm Brad Riley. Thanks for joining me today. It's uh, Thursday, May the 28th, I believe, and we are in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be talking this morning about the circumcision of Jesus. But before we get there, let's just take a minute to allow people some time to jump on the video, Uh, grab your cup of coffee. I always like to start out by just talking a little bit about a cup of coffee. And this morning's cup is a special cup. Last week I shared my Longhorn coffee mug, Texas Longhorn, kind of showed you some of my Texas Longhorn memorabilia, but uh, today I want to... Introduce you to my Minnesota Vikings cup. That's right. I'm a Minnesota Viking fan. Last week when I talked a lot about the Longhorns. Hi, Judy and Sandy. Hello, everyone. Good morning, Uh, Pastor James. Uh, I'm all dressed up for a funeral today. Uh, Every week I'm wearing something different on here. As soon as the study is over, I got to jet to a cemetery to do a graveside service for a family. But uh, hey, I'm so glad you're joining us today. But Just sharing with everybody, last week when I was introducing you to some of my Texas Longhorn memorabilia here in the office, uh, one of our uh, participants, Sylvia, who is from Minnesota, said, what about the Vikings? She knows I'm a Vikings fan, and so here's my Texas, I mean my uh, Minnesota Viking coffee mug, and today it's filled with the Mexican chocolate. Talked to you about that a few weeks ago. It's really, really good. But I also thought I brought some friends, some old friends here to to show you. Uh, So I have some things from my childhood just to prove. Again, I showed you the longhorn helmet I painted when I was a little kid. Here's some stuff from my childhood to prove I've always been a a Viking fan. Here's uh, football cards. This is Fred Cox, who wore number 14, the place kicker for the Vikings. Uh, And I just loved kicking the football. I always wanted to be a place kicker myself. Don't think I probably could have handled the uh, stress if I missed. But uh, this was 1970 card, so good relic there. <clears throat> Mick Tinglehoff, who was the center for the Vikings. Some of you Vikings fans, if I have any on this video, will recognize some of those. And then I had these cool little posters. These were these were little posters that were made, you got with your pack of uh, bubble gum and your football cards. And this was Dave Osborne running back for the Vikings. And I have a bunch of others of those. I never got to collect them all, but but I've got some good ones here. This is uh, Harold Jackson. There's Joe Namath. Uh, that's a big name. I've got uh, Bob Hayes, the fastest man on earth once upon a time. Bob Greasy for the Miami Dolphins. Lots of fun stuff there. I just got all this stuff. I've saved it in a box for years. I keep it, keep it around me here in the office just for fun. But I also have, you'll see behind me, right over my shoulder, a pennant, the old pennant that hung on my wall when I was a little kid in the bedroom. the Minnesota Viking pennant. You can see it's all worn out on the tail from being pinned to the wall so many different times. It's pretty threadbare, but I've kept that all these years. Keep it around. And then this guy right over here, I'm going to pick the camera up, show you what's right over my left shoulder here. This is... Uh, Yes, for those of you who know, I used to be in the clothing business. I kept one of the old, kind of beat-up clothing forms. And there's a Minnesota Viking jacket with one of my old Minnesota Viking sweatshirts. So uh, I am definitely a hardcore Minnesota Viking fan. Good to see you, Mark and Debbie and and, uh, all those who are jumping on. Dale, thanks. I'm just acquainting people with my office here. Uh, Hardcore Minnesota Viking fan. Always have been. Here's my water cups or iced tea cups whatever from the Vikings uh just really love the Vikings uh went to them one more item to show you cuz this is special to pro I've always been a fan 1970 January 1970 Vikings played the Chiefs in the Super Bowl and we all know the Chiefs won my brother was a huge Chiefs fan I was a huge Vikings fan you know I've been in therapy ever since <laughs> I watched them lose four Super Bowls in 8 years uh what an incredibly talented, gifted football team that never could win the big one. But uh, this is a giant poster that hung on my wall after that Super Bowl, or that year it came out, with that huge Viking head, and then you see uh, Joe Namath back there cocking his arm back, not Joe Namath, uh, Joe Cap, the quarterback in that Super Bowl for the Vikings, number 11, kind of getting ready to throw the ball. I knew that when... Uh, when the Vikings, when Buck Buchanan of the Kansas City Chiefs broke Joe Calf's arm in the third quarter, I knew the game was over after that. Really sad. Well, hey, today uh, I had another really special photograph of my family all in Viking stuff when the kids are little, and I thought I knew where it was and I couldn't find it. Um, it's been a lot of different places, but eh, if I ever find that, I'll bring that on another week. This morning, Vicki, nice to see you on this call this video. We're going to study the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. We're only going to look at four verses this morning. Now, I, I put a little trailer video out yesterday with asking a question. I want, wanted you to get you thinking. Just how important is baptism? I think what we're going to study this morning is maybe going to rock the world of some evangelical Christians who have never really thought this through. Uh, those of you who know me know I'm, I'm kind of a, an eclectic christian minister i was born in a family that went to the church of the brethren as a youth i converted to catholicism i spent some time in the episcopal church and i really came to the lord fully and uh, as a young man in the church of the nazarene and was later ordained and now i'm actually even going to be pastoring starting in july uh part-time in the methodist church down in Udall, Kansas. Uh, So that's coming up. I'm really, I've got a lot of interest and a lot of experience in the body of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ in all her forms. And I love all of them for the beauty of what they are uh, and what they bring to the, the table, so to speak. But on this point of baptism, I think this is one of the most misunderstood Christian teachings in our world today. And we're going to talk about why that is. You say, well, Brad, Luke chapter 2 is not about Jesus' baptism. No, it's about his circumcision. But I'm going to show you how we connect some dots here that are pretty powerful, that compare circumcision and baptism, and speak to us about the very importance of baptism. So before we jump right in to the scripture, I hope you've got your cup of coffee. Let me take a quick sip of my Mexican hot chocolate here. my Viking mug, and uh, grab your prayer card if you have it. We always want to pray before we study the scripture. and We're going to spend the next, whatever, 45 minutes talking about three ancient rituals in the Jewish faith, all which really bear remarkable uh, importance to our faith today as Christians. So if you have your cards, let's pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. If it's your first time on today, and I think I recognize some new names uh, popping up here, uh, hi, Joan and Judith, uh, that prayer card can be found under photos on my Brad Rally Ministries page that you're on right there. Just click it, uh, print it out, read it off of there, it's, it's the ancient prayer of St. John Chrysostom. This is, this is late 300s, early 400s right here, uh, stuff. So uh, it's just a beautiful prayer that he prayed before the study of Scripture. And I think it really opens our hearts and minds to what this is all about. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 2. And let's look, we're just going to look at four verses today, but let's look at the Scriptures together. I'll be reading, as I always do, from the ancient Christian commentary on Scripture, and that has within it the Revised Standard Version, a very old but very scholarly, literal transition of Scripture. Let us begin with chapter 2, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given the eight end quote. And we're going to stop right there. That's the end of verse 24. Uh, I mean, so just four verses to look at today. But the reason that I want to just look at those four, is it's going to go into the Song of Simeon. And next week, we're going to look at that. We'll finish that section of the, of the chapter. It's a beautiful song, one of the three ancient prayer songs of Luke chapter one and two, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, and next week's Song of Simeon called the Nunc Dimittis. And uh, there's the prophecy of Simeon and the prophecy of Anna. We're going to get to all that. But it's too important that we look at what we're looking at today, that we stop and spend some time on it. Now, as we think about these three ancient rituals that Jesus and and Mary and Joseph have bringing Jesus uh, back to Jerusalem for, uh, the first one happens uh, on the eighth day. Now, remember, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They're probably still in Bethlehem staying in Bethlehem, uh, because it's very close to Jerusalem. They were there for the birth of Jesus. Hi, Peggy, thanks for joining us. And as we uh, as we, Beverly, good to see you. As we think this through, on the eighth day, Jesus is brought to be uh, circumcised. What's that all about? This is one of the holiest ceremonies in all of the Jewish faith. Every male child was circumcised, On the eighth day. And it had to be on the eighth day. This was so important and so holy that it could even happen on the Sabbath. Didn't matter if it's Sabbath or not. This was important. Why was it so important? Think about it with me. From the time of Abraham, God gave circumcision of the males to Abraham as a mark of covenant, as, as as the symbol of who's God's people, and who is not, or who are not. Every If you wanted to be in God's covenant relationship, males had to be circumcised. And so we see that practiced all throughout the Old Testament. We see it still being practiced in, in Jesus' time as uh, Jesus is born, and it's always the eighth day. Remember, sometimes we've talked about the significance of the eighth day. The eighth day is that day of eternity. You know, the six days for creation, the seventh God rested, and then we follow that plan into Jesus' resurrection on that Lord's day, the day of the resurrection. Jesus really took that eighth day and by virtue of his resurrection made it a day like any other day. In that, death had been conquered and the host of captives from Hades had been led free and salvation had come and been accomplished. The kingdom of God came to earth in a a miraculous, powerful way we know as the eighth day. A day on life. And that became the day that all Christians began to worship on. Not the Sabbath as the Jews had, but the eighth day because it was the Lord's day. It's the day of the kingdom. It's the day of fulfillment. It's the day of eternal eternity outside of time and space. I love that thought. When you go to worship on Sundays, or that's in your home as we are now, but soon, I believe, back in our in our congregations in, in measure, of course. But when you come together, remember that is the eighth day. That is the day of the kingdom. You're experiencing something outside of time and space. Hey, my colleague Dan, good to see you, Dan, on here. And, I, and so why is Jesus, Jesus has to be circumcised on the eighth day because it was a matter of perfecting the law. But I want to speak to you just a little bit about what the circumcision meant and why it's so important to us today. In the sense that Jesus was circumcised, he was being obedient to the law, but he was also suffering, he was bleeding as a as a symbol of what was to come in his flesh, the Son of God bled for the first time as a symbol, as an antitype of what was to come in the crucifixion and the in his passion, if you will. So that's very very important for us to mark now I'm going to hold on the circumcision talk right there. I've given you kind of a background of what it was and why it was so important. I'm gonna talk about the other two ancient rituals we read in these four verses. And then we're gonna end our discussion today with more on circumcision, okay? Because this is all about relationship with God. Now, the second ritual that we read about that Jesus is receiving here is it tells us that when the time came for the purification. And we know that that means that was verse I was reading. We know that that's forty days after the birth, after the nativity of the Lord Jesus Christ. All males. It's given in the Mosaic Law. You can go back and read this stuff. We don't have time to here, but if you can go back and read in the Book of Exodus, the Book of Leviticus, and the Book of Numbers, just do a Google search if you want to, uh, all about these three ancient rituals given in the Mosaic Law. Every firstborn male child was to be. Uh, redeemed back on uh, this this, uh, called the presentation of the Lord or redemption of the firstborn. And it's happening about the time of the purification. Those are actually two separate events. It says when the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, that's dealing with Mary and the purification of the woman after childbirth, which again happens 40 days later if it's a male child and 80 days later if it's a female child. So we know this is 40 days after the nativity. So the church would, would set this date as February the 2nd if it's setting uh, the nativity or Christmas on December 25th. Now, what is happening here is that while Mary is being obedient, while she's a perfectly obedient Jew wanting to bring herself before the temple to be cleansed, she has to offer a sacrifice. But in doing that, she is also offering, it says, they. They brought him, meaning Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We see here images of what we do with our young children when we call infant or child dedication to the Lord. Jesus is, is brought before the priests of the temple, and he is redeemed back. Now, what does that mean? This was a, it, it says the present him to the Lord. The ritual is called the redemption of the firstborn. You can go back into the book of Exodus and read about that too. what it means is an acknowledgement that God owns everything. And it's also an acknowledgement that human life is sacred. It's also an acknowledgement that the firstborn or the principle of first things, because it even applied to the cattle uh, that that were uh, born. Firstborn animals, uh, cattle and, and probably some of the other more working type animals that were part of the the livelihood of the people, all of them were considered holy and they were to be consecrated to the Lord. And in that sense, for the male children, the consecration was to be given over for service eventually, like Hannah did with Samuel, to service in the temple. Now, there were a few exemptions. The Levites were exempt from this ritual. Why were they exempt? Because if you remember way back to the golden calf experience in, uh, in the book of Exodus when they were wandering in, in, uh, around Mount Sinai, that whole golden calf pagan experience of God's people, the Levites remained faithful and God rewarded them and he exempted them from this because the Levites were to be used as the priestly line, uh, as sons of Levi. And also exempted were if a child was born by Caesarean delivery. That was somehow considered not qualified, if you will, to uh, to be a part of temple service. Now, every child didn't go off to serve in the temple because God gave them an opportunity to redeem or to buy back their child from him. There's some beautiful symbolism here, so hang with me. okay? They had a price set, and that price was manageable for the people. Okay, uh, A lot of times you read in today's, it was called fifteen shillings or fifteen pieces of silver or something. And so it was, it was, it was reasonable. It was expensive, but reasonable. Most everyone paid it if they wanted their child back. God didn't demand something that was unreasonable. But why did we have to ask the question? Why did God even demand this? Because He's teaching them first things first. Holy things are for the holy. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. And in this, every, every human life, everything in creation is holy. But there is an order to things. And human beings are more holy than some things because we're made in the image and likeness of God. We're, we're, bur- we're born with that image stamped in our image, uh, into our soul. And, and so in this redemption back, think about the pagan world of that time. Pagans had this idea that firstborn children were to be sacrificed. They were literally killed, slaughtered, child sacrifice. This was very common in the pagan world at that time, of the Old Testament world, the ancient Old Testament especially. God never, ever, ever approved of that. God never wanted that or demanded that of his people. So what he taught them was your firstborn, is holy and dedicated to If you'll dedicate him to me, I'll give you, if you don't want him to go off and serve in the temple, I'll give you an opportunity to redeem him back. And what we see here is the principle of redemption. God's own firstborn son is only, but firstborn son, Jesus Christ, would be the perfect, the final redemption. And so Jesus himself, the baby Jesus, is being brought into the temple, his own temple, he's God. And he's being brought into the temple to be presented and to be redeemed back because he is going to be our future redemption. This is a powerful concept. And and it goes along with this idea of purification because God, God is holy and everything about God is pure and holy. And everything needs to be redeemed. Hi Greg, thanks for joining us today. So we're working our way back to the discussion on circumcision. We're almost there. But I want you to see something that's really important about this purification ceremony that Mary and Joseph had for Mary's sake. The scripture tells us that it was written in the law, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what's said in the law, it says, quote, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, if you go back into the law, back to the book of Exodus, you're going to read that it tells us that that it's actually the Mosaic law demands a lamb as a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering, two sacrifices. Burnt offering is the lamb. Again, beautiful symbolism of The the symbolism of the ultimate sacrifice would be the lamb of God. But lambs were expensive, and poorer families didn't have lambs. Uh, So the law, God made an, uh, uh, an, uh, an exemption, if you will. His mercy was being shown to those who were poorer that they could just give two pigeons or two turtle doves. One to be a burnt offering, one to be a sin offering. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. And what does this scripture teach us about Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus and their family? It says they're poor because that's all they could bring. They couldn't bring a lamb. They didn't own any sheep. They didn't own a lamb to bring. So when we think about the life of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and his special ministry to the poor, it wasn't just because he's trying to teach us something. He knew what it was like to be poor. Mary and Joseph we're poor, and there is no shame in that. God shows, as we heard Mary sing in her Magnificat a few weeks ago, he chose to lift her up out of her humble estate, her poor estate, and to bless them, and to bless her. Uh, what an amazing, amazing, hi, Michelle, thanks for joining us, and Sandy, good to see you. It was an amazing example for us to understand that, you know, there's no shame in being poor, uh, In in fact, Jesus had a lot to say about poverty, and he had a lot to say about wealth. And when you follow everything that Jesus said, honestly, it was a a lot easier to get into heaven if you were poor than it was if you were wealthy, because there's so much that can come between us and God if we're not careful. I'm not preaching that you can't go to heaven if you're wealthy. That's not what I mean. That's not what scripture teaches. But there's a blessing in poverty as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Luke even says, blessed are the poor. He doesn't even say poor in spirit. He just says, blessed are the poor when he comes to. Are, that's getting ahead of us. We're not there yet. Pastor Cecil, good to see you. Uh, but let's, so we've seen two amazing, uh, beautiful ancient rituals, the redemption of the firstborn and the uh, purification for Mary that Jesus' family is being obedient. This is the life of God's people, and they are being obedient, perfectly obedient. But let's go back now to the discussion on the circumcision. On the eighth day, Jesus was brought to be circumcised. Two things happened. The flesh of the foreskin was removed. There was bleeding, and there was pain. There was suffering in that sense. And those are all symbolic of the future pain and suffering and bleeding of Jesus Christ. And there was also the naming ceremony. And it tells us right there in the scripture that he was named and called Jesus. And it says that's the name the angel gave to Mary before the child was even in her womb. Why? Because Jesus, the little word Yeshua in Hebrew, literally means salvation. What's in a name? A lot. The holy name of Jesus. It, it, there is something to be said that it is in his name that we, as Paul says in scripture, that we live and move and breathe and have our being. And That's going to become even clearer what Paul meant by that as we talk about this idea of circumcision. I'm going to invite you right now to start to open your mind to why physical Acts of worship, like circumcision in this case, and what we're gonna what I'm gonna compare it to you is is baptism because I believe that's what it is compared to. Why those are so important? I asked the question leading up to this video, this study today: just how important is baptism, anyway? Is it just a public profession as so many proclaim it? This is a polarizing debate that is really an adventure in missing the point. Christians for centuries now have argued, is baptism regenerational or is baptism just a simple profession of faith? It it misses the point. It's not about either or. It's about the essence of the experience. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. We are saved by faith. No question about it. Scripture is perfectly clear, and I truly believe every Christian who's truly a Christian believes that. We are saved by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that faith is by the grace of Almighty God. There is nothing we can do to earn it. But a careful look throughout all of Scripture shows us that salvation, The salvific work of God is never separated from baptism, from the act, from the physical act of baptism. In Scripture, save one time. In the New Testament, save one time. And that was the time of the thief on the cross. People on the profession of faith side always want to say, well, you see there, it was because of the, uh, the thief on the cross, so you don't have to be baptized. He made it to heaven, and you don't have to be baptized. People on the other side of the argument, the regenerational side say, well, you see, uh, you have to be regenerated through baptism because Scripture says that's what saves us. They're both missing the point. What saves us is the grace of Almighty God. So what we want to say is we want to say why then is baptism so important? We look at scriptures. I'm going to look at several with you. If you I hope you have your Bibles with you right now because we're going to actually turn to some and we're going to look at this comparison between circumcision and baptism. What I'm telling you today is I believe the scripture teaches us and pretty much the ancient fathers and most all theologians have always said circumcision is the sign of the old covenant. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant. Just as you couldn't get into the old covenant without being circumcised, a male, of course, the family, the the firstborn male, all male children were circumcised, but the family, the women were considered part of the family, part of the covenant by virtue of who they are. But the obedience came through the male line, and that's why the mark of circumcision. But I want you to listen to some very important things here. Uh, in Scripture. Let's look at the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Randy, my friend, good to see you. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and, and we're going to look at a few words here. The Apostle Paul is teaching about being aware of false theology. This is what he has to say. Verse. I'll begin with verse 8. Let's just begin with verse 6. This is too important. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk with him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So there's a definite faith too. there's a catechetical teaching of the belief in Jesus Christ that's being passed on from generation to generation. There's also, we know, people trying to corrupt that teaching. So he says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy an empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, meaning in Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, very important, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now here's our key verse, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Wow. He he goes on. Wow is not in the scripture. That's just me stopping to, to... Wow. In him, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of... Christ comma buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. The apostle Paul in the same breath is saying we're circumcised in Christ well that would be impossible if Christ hadn't been circumcised okay his circumcision was for us his bleeding that day was for us. It was the symbol of what has to happen in us. Okay, We have to let go of this flesh to be in him. And in the same breath, the Apostle Paul says, and we do that by being buried with him in baptism and raised with him in baptism. You cannot read the New Testament. That's just one example. You cannot read the, the scope of the New Testament without seeing Baptism always equated with being identified in the covenant to being brought into the covenant family of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, let me take you to Peter, some thoughts from the apostle Peter, and this is in his first letter, chapter three. Peter is uh, talking about Christ's suffering in chapter three, how he suffered once for the sins of the of the just, the just for the unjust. And then he talks about, uh, uh, let's start with verse 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who were formerly, who formerly were disobedient. Okay. That's, when he went and preached to them in spirit, that's Holy Saturday between the cross and the resurrection. He preaches to the spirits in prison or in Hades, if you will, who were formerly disobedient. When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. He's going all the way back to the days of Noah, Peter is. While the ark was being prepared, okay, the divine long-suffering, Noah was righteous in his family and their long-suffering, they're building that ark, took them forever to build it, sure. And while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So the ark we see is an antitype of being saved through water. There is also, verse 21, key verse. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Dash, for emphasis, Peter says, baptism. Parentheses, not the renewal, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, baptism is a part of God's salvific plan. Scripture, can you can't separate it out. And in that, it's not about the act of just Physically being washed. There's no magic in that, okay? It's about the good conscience. That's the faith towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in faith, we are to be obedient, just as Jesus was obedient in circumcision by his parents. His parents took him, uh, which again is a, a symbol of being brought into the covenant. And that is the uh, theologically there's another divide there. Some people will not accept infant baptism and some people will. I think you have to accept infant baptism uh, really on the, on the testimony of Scripture uh, because that's when people were brought into the covenant as infants. Uh, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with believer's baptism either. I mean, we can't all go back and become infants again when we hear the gospel. It depends on when you, where you're at in the journey. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with bringing our whole family on the faith of the parents into this sacred act of baptism with children. I know I'm ordained in the Church of the Nazarene, and the Church of the Nazarene theology even teaches that, that uh, infant baptism as well as believer's baptism is uh, acceptable in the church. Now, that's Peter. We read some of Paul. Let me read you just a little more from Paul from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Wow. He says that same thing in Galatians. Galatians says, chapter, I think it's 3:27. Uh, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How important is baptism? Now, I know there's been scholars and theologians that have argued, oh, well, Brad, we, we need to argue over what baptism is. Is it really just, it's not really the act of being baptized in water. That's not that important. It's, it's this metaphor for, for being immersed in Christ in, in, spiritually by faith with just making that ascent. But I don't, think that, I don't think that holds water, to, to use a pun, because the physical act is what we see over and over and over through Scripture. Every time in the book of Acts, all through the book of Acts, from the very first Christian sermon preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, when people were pricked in their hearts, cut to the quick, and said, what must we do to be saved? Be baptized, Peter said, for the forgiveness of your sins. So how can we say baptism isn't important? It's not important. And and I think this is one of the critical this is one of the critical flaws of, of, uh, of theologians when they begin to argue over, over things. This is, a, this is why I called it adventures in missing the point. We shouldn't argue over baptism, whether baptism is regenerational or it's only a matter of profession of faith. It's both and. It, it's both and. Clearly in Scripture, it's both and. But it's not apart from faith. Faith is truly the only way we're saved. But if we have saving faith, or our parents for us want to bring us in as as an infant into that faith covenant, then we are baptized in water, as Scripture continually shows, Jesus himself even saying in the Gospel of John that we must be born again of water and the Spirit. So, I want to share with you some thoughts here. If I run out of time, it's 11:40. I have to be careful with my time, your time and mine today. Um, I, I, I want to share with you some ancient church fathers on this subject. Origen, writing in the 225-ish early 200s. Origen, not considered a, a, a saint by the churches, ended his life. I've talked about him before, you know, with the kind of teachings on universalism. Uh, as to who's saved and who isn't, but but Origin was a brilliant, and he had a lot to, a lot of good stuff to say. And this is what he said. Origin said this. Uh, let me get to the right page. Thought I had it right there. Here it is. Origin said, "Speaking of Jesus, when he so when he died, we died with him, and when he rose, we rose with him. Likewise, we are also circumcised along with him." after his circumcision, we were cleansed by a solemn purification. Hence, we have no need at all for circumcision of the flesh. And you notice how one of the great arguments of the Christianity as it was growing in the book of Acts was, do we have to circumcise these people or not? Do they have to become Jewish to be Christian? And of course, the answer was no. We don't have to be circumcised anymore because we're circumcised in Christ's circumcision, and that happens when we're baptized. Wow. He goes on. Origen talks some more here. Hence, we have no need at all for circumcision of the flesh. You should know that he was circumcised for our sake. Listen to Paul's clear proclamation. Now, Origen's quoting the Apostle Paul. He's quoting Colossians, which I read earlier. He says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. And you were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him. He's reading the same thing I read earlier from Colossians, right? He's quoting that. Our baptism is how we are circumcised in Christ. It's how we're brought into the covenant. Just like the Jews were brought into the covenant through circumcision. I want to give you some more from Cyril of Alexandria, St. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the greatest catechetical teachers of the early Christian faith, uh, writing, I believe, in the early early 4th century or around the 400s. He says, St. Paul says, and he's quoting St. Paul, that neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. On the eighth day, Christ rose from the dead and gave us spiritual circumcision. He then commanded the holy apostles, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit interesting that the Great Commission is to baptize, but yet we have all kinds of Christians in the world that don't even practice baptism. I can't figure that out. And, And he says, he goes on, and we affirm that the spiritual circumcision takes place chiefly in holy baptism. I think that word chiefly is important, and I'm going to talk about why in just a minute. Chiefly in holy baptism, when Christ makes us partakers of the Holy Spirit too. So then, when we have crossed the Jordan, Christ circumcises us with the power of the Holy Spirit, not by the purifying of the flesh, but rather by cutting off the defilement that is in our souls. In other words, sin. On the eighth day, therefore, Christ was circumcised and, as I said, received his name. We are saved by him. His naming salvation. We're saved by him. We are saved in him and through him because in him you also, and he quotes scripture again here, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That, I, that, he's quoting Colossians 2 again there. So let's let's wrap this together because I only have a few minutes left. Jesus was redeemed by his parents in the redemption of the firstborn as a foretaste of our redemption, by God redeeming us through uh, the price he paid for his holy son. And that price was his death, the, the cost Jesus his life for our redemption. Mary was purified as a beautiful symbol of. Uh, future purification, purification that comes in this whole purifying act of of baptism, and finally, and most importantly, Jesus was circumcised, so that you and I could be circumcised, not in the flesh, but in the spirit, and it's the testimony of the earliest of the New Testament of the early Christian fathers, and on through the ages. That that happens, as, as Cyril of Alexandria says, chiefly in baptism. Why do you say chiefly? Well, I think because we know God's dispensation is always a dispensation of grace. You know, when Jesus was on the cross with the thief who confessed faith in him, Jesus didn't say hey to the Roman guard or hey to John who was standing now, go get some water real quick because this guy believes in me and we better baptize him because he needs to be with me in heaven today. Jesus didn't say that because that thief experienced desire for the living God and that desire was enough. He didn't have time to be baptized. It might be that you or I have lived, there might even be somebody listening to me right now or in the future, that's never been baptized. And you might have never known it was that important. And and God forbid, maybe you die before you can be baptized. That's okay. Because chiefly, it's the act of baptism. But primarily, and understandably, we do that to be obedient. We do it because it is the working of God in our lives. It is a It is a act, a grace-filled act. That's why it's considered a sacrament. A sacrament is a grace-filled act, okay? But it's also about your desire. If you have no desire to be baptized, I mean, if if you have no real desire for Christ or belief, but you go through the ritual anyway, it's not going to do you any good. There's no magic in it. It's all faith. Now, one last scripture for you that really points, this has always been God's plan. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Uh, Let me turn back there. I forgot to mark it, but I'm going to get there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And verse five. Moses speaking. Then the Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers inherited and you shall have it as an inheritance. He will prosper and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will purify your heart and the heart of your seed and to love the Lord your God with all your heart and from all your soul that you may live so he goes on in, uh, in scripture to talk about, I mean, there's a long, long passage there that, that I wouldn't be able to read it all to you, but it's all about a matter of the heart. He even says, and I'm struggling because I didn't underline it here or look for it. He, he talks about uh, that you be circumcised in your heart circumcised in your heart. Deuteronomy says that you be circumcised in your heart. He's talking about baptism. He's talking about the day when we will let God cut away all the defilement, all the sin, and bring us into his covenant relationship to inherit the land the Father's prepared for us. So um, look at my notes here real quick, make sure I didn't forget anything for you. Yes, Why? my final thought for you today. Why does it have to be water baptism? Why can't it just be faith? Two reasons. I'm going to give you two reasons. There's probably a lot more than that. One is because Jesus was baptized. Jesus didn't need to be baptized to be forgiven of any sin. He didn't have any sin. But he did it to sanctify the waters that we should follow in them. The second reason that I want to give you why I think baptism. And that is because why the physical act in the water is so important. Because water is the symbol of life. And symbols matter. Because symbols are matter. Physical matter. And matter matters. (laughs) Why does matter matter? Because Jesus, our God, became matter. He took on our physical flesh to sanctify it, to redeem it, to bring it back into perfect covenant relationship with the Father, the Creator, with Him, with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but that just gets me excited. It just gets me excited. Matter matters. It is. When we reduce christian faith christian teaching i'm sorry when we reduce reduce christian teaching down to just an intellectual ascent, which i'm sorry to say much of evangelicalism has done for the last few hundred years we didn't get here overnight we didn't get, when we do that we miss the point that matter matters it matters One of the greatest heresies that Jesus and the, the, not Jesus, but the apostles had to deal with was this idea that matter didn't matter. That was Gnosticism, that the body is actually evil and the physical world is evil. No, it's created holy by God and we are holy because we are matter. Every human life, no matter how vile they live, still has the image of God stamped on their soul and they matter. And so through these beautiful symbols of water, and oil, you know, oil for anointing, water for this, dirt, ashes on a forehead, dust to dust, to, all these physical symbols matter because God works through them in a very mysterious way. I can't explain it. I'm going to be wary of anyone who says they can't explain it because we can't explain the work of God completely. We're, we're, the, we're the kettle, we're the, we're the pot, he's the potter. But we can believe, and we can act in obedience, because matter matters, water baptism matters. It is the primary, the chief way that we are brought into the covenant relationship with God. It is a part of the salvific act of God, and we shouldn't try to separate it from faith, as too many Christian churches have tried to do. Well, one of the ways, we didn't get here overnight, we didn't get in this quandary overnight, but it says something that for probably 17, 1800 years, at least that, all Christians believed baptism was the pathway to salvation. And it wasn't until the modern era that some Protestant movements began to, in their intellectual ascent, began to argue over this idea that water baptism could be regenerational. And they were probably reacting rightfully to a a, uh, period of time in the Middle Ages when many things were done wrong. Many things were taught wrong. That's why we had a Reformation. But, as I said in that little video, sometimes in the Reformation, what happened is we threw the, over a period of time, what Protestants did was throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some things we lost in the Reformation that we shouldn't have lost. Um, So, you know, the church stands always in need of Reformation. Because every generation has to take a truth that Jude tells us in Scripture was once and for all delivered to the saints. And we have to figure out what that is, and we have to pass it on to the next generation. If we leave off the first step, which is the figuring out what it is, then all we're doing is accepting what somebody else laid on us without really understanding it. That's why we're studying the Bible like this. This is why we are studying the scriptures verse by verse, historical context, looking at what the earliest Christians believed and how that played out over time, and to say, where are we today? What reformation does the church need today? Probably a lot. But that would be a whole other podcast. So, hey, thank you for joining me today. This very important discussion on our circumcision, which is baptism, uh, which is the new covenant, water baptism. Uh, So, as I always say, you may not agree with me. And if you don't, I'm teaching this in love today. I love you. If if you're part of a church that doesn't even practice sacraments, hey, guess what? We have the same Lord. I wish you could discover what I believe is is a beautiful nourishment to our soul, which is the sacramental life. But but if you don't, that's okay. We're not going to divide over it. I love you. We both love Christ. So the truth spoken in love is what the Apostle Paul is all about and his teaching. And that's what I want to be about, the truth spoken in love. So uh, that's what I've tried to do. Uh, I'm just trying to be faithful to what the Lord has laid upon me here Um I've probably missed a lot of people. I'm just excited to see a bunch of new names on there today. I see John and Olin and Matt. Thank you guys for joining in. Uh, I'm going to invite you to go back and listen to this video after it's posted. This is an incredibly important lesson for our Christian faith. I want you to hear it. I want you to hear my heart And, and let's take it and let's just Let's make this faith our own. let's understand it. and, and that's why we've created this far. and if you don't understand, if you've still got questions, put them on the page, the Facebook page, just to ask me a question. I'm not the perfect Bible answer, man, and not at all. There's a lot of pastors on this this video that and some of them may disagree with me too. I love them even if they do. Um, but but we need to have this discussion in love and, and we need to we need to teach something that really matters. Because that's what our world is hungry for. They don't need just an intellectual ascent. That's exactly what Paul was warning against. Be not led astray by empty philosophies and vain philosophies and empty deceit. You know, Don't let that happen. There is a truth. There is a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, and it's never changed. Even through the Reformation, it's never changed. The essence, the core of belief in Christian. And that, and, and you can go back to the ancient creed, the Nicene Creed. And it even speaks about baptism. And how, I mean, if it's in the creed, it's pretty important. Uh, and, and why was it important to them to put it in the creed? Because it's all through scripture, as we've talked about. So, hey, I'm getting worked up. I'm, I'm probably preaching more than I'm teaching. Sorry about that. But God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Ask some questions on the Facebook page. Let's keep the dialogue going. Next week, we'll pick up with the Song of Simeon, beautiful song, a part of the ancient prayers of the church. Let's jump into it next week. But right now, before I close, let me pray for you. And if anyone out there listening to my voice has never been baptized, seek the Lord in water baptism. Talk to me about it. Maybe you have a church home, go talk to your pastor about it. Um, It's important. It's really important. It's critical. It's part of God's salvific plan. Well, let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you for each person listening now and that will ever listen to this broadcast. I thank you for them. They are your child. No matter what they believe, they're your child. And they are holy. And they are set apart, whether they even know it. And Father, I pray that you would work in their heart by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring them to a place of the fullness of faith, that they would take that step into the waters of baptism. And that they would understand that they are being identified, they're being circumcised with you. They are with you, Lord Christ, and they are being they are being buried, they are being raised up to new life in the kingdom of almighty Father Son and Holy Spirit blessed is your kingdom the kingdom of the Father the kingdom of the Son the kingdom of the Holy Spirit and may that kingdom that blessing be upon you now and remain with you now and through eternity I ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior your Son Father who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit one God forever and ever and unto the ages of ages amen god bless you thanks for being with me today well that's all we have time for today and i want to thank you again for listening in i hope that our time together has been a blessing to you while you're here why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question you know forming the spirit within is a listener supported ministry and i really appreciate your feedback and your support If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as He forms His Spirit within you.